Hello and welcome back to ISSG Forward, the podcast series dedicated to sustainable and responsible investment brought to you by ISSG. As you know, in each episode, we explore the latest trends and developments that are shaping the ESG landscape, and I'm your host, Jean-Charles Guillemin. I'm pleased to be joined today by Karina Karakulova, who is Director of Regulatory Affairs and Public Policy at ISS. Karina, welcome, and thank you for joining this episode. Before talking about the latest release of ISS ESG's annual report on ESG regulations, it would be great maybe if you could tell us, first of all, a bit more about what you do within regulatory affairs and public policy department, and what aspects of ESG regulation do you and your team focus on? Sure. First of all, thank you for, for having me. I'm happy to join um, and explain a little bit about the work that we do. So as you mentioned, I, I head up the regulatory affairs group for ISS stocks. And the primary remit of the work that we do in our group is to focus on regulatory and legislative developments happening globally that will impact ISS stocks as a service provider or as a regulated entity. Having said that, as part of the work that we do, there's a lot of monitoring that happens and we pay very close attention to uh, regulatory regulatory developments happening globally, whether focused on investment management issues or specifically on sustainable finance issues or ESG-related regulation as they may impact investors or corporates and thereby investors too. Thank you. Thanks for this um, background, which is very useful. And now, as I said earlier, ISS ESG recently released uh, its annual report on ESG regulation, which is called 2023 Global Regulatory Update. As the SME, as the subject matter expert having orchestrated this report, could you please let us know about, first of all, its findings on the state of ESG regulation, and then about what the significance is for ESG investors, please? Sure. Maybe to start with, it's important to note that this is our now third annual report where we have focused in on regulatory developments happening globally. This latest report is our most comprehensive to date and is really designed to zero in not just on what happened, but also to provide some insights and commentary on trends that investors should watch and regulatory themes that we see coming up in, in, in the market. The report is written in collaboration with our colleagues in Regulatory Solutions on our climate team and a fixed income research team as well. So it's really a specialized approach to get into the weeds while maintaining the report's approachability and ease of read. Uh, You can imagine that being a research organization, we are a wonky group. So it's we're actually quite uh, holding ourselves back to not dive into the weeds too much. I, I think the starting point for this particular publication is that we, we want to note the obvious, which is that consideration of ESG factors is not a new practice among investment professionals. But what has become different and particularly notable this year in 2023 is that there is a heightened interest in ESG and sustainable investment among regulators globally, and this has led to a variety of regulatory interventions by policymakers from one jurisdiction to another. And our assessment is that taken together, these regulatory initiatives are presenting not only a complexity, but in general, just a labyrinth uh, landscape for financial market participants to, to navigate. Specifically, what we highlight in this particular report is we focus chapter by chapter on what has happened in the corporate reporting landscape on sustainability uh, issues, 
Secondly, we focus on uh, developments related to um, ESG or sustainability branded investment products and disclosures expected of asset managers or asset owners. Noting the developments in the UK, we have a chapter specifically dedicated to that regulatory landscape. And then the, the remaining two chapters are larger in, in focus. One is where we've noticed that there's a trend in regulatory development specifically focusing on due diligence obligations, whether it is of asset managers, asset owners, or corporates. And then the final chapter is one where we are looking beyond the equity markets to look at the sustainable bond market and note some of the regulatory developments there. I guess you give me the a nice introduction for the for the overall report, and we can easily uh, easily and quickly jump in because in year to date, for instance, two major sustainability reporting standards were finalized. Uh, obviously, the first one was the latest update of uh, to, to the European Commission's ESRC, the European Sustainability Reporting Standards, and the second one was the Sustainability Disclosure Standards of the ISSB. According to you, what are the implications of these reporting standards for investors? Sure. And, and here, too, I think it's important to frame the discussion in the overall uh, landscape of where we started in the sustainable finance discussion on the regulatory front going back a couple of years to where we are now. And in that sense, I think what that chapter in particular notes or summarizes is that the sustainability reporting landscape is both in an evolutionary and a revolutionary stage. It's evolutionary in that we're now seeing just an extension of financial reporting that is being literally expanded to climate-related or sustainability-related considerations. And as you summarize the work done by FRAG with the ESRS, the European Sustainability Reporting Standards, and the work of IFRS with the work on ISSB and potentially the global baseline for sustainability reporting. Those are two, in particular, very notable developments that have uh, taken place this year already, but are not yet at full completion. And the revolutionary stage is, is more so to the fact that this is with the ESRS and the ISSB work now uh, complete at that initial stage, what investors can expect in the coming years is more and more quantitative and qualitative information that corporations in scope of that regulation will have to provide. And that's quite revolutionary because that means that's more information for investors to have access to, to analyze the companies in which they are invested and it's also for us as a service provider, more information to include in our own research and, and analysis. Maybe to note more specifically on ESRS and ISSB work in particular, it's, it's, it's hard not to note the challenges that are before those particular standards and what we can expect in 2024 or 2025 and, and beyond when we see the reporting actually come into force, um, depending on the, the size of the company um, or the, the scope of the reporting standards in particular. And there, I think the primary question is, first of all, to, to what extent will the reporting uh, under ESRS um, compare or interoperate with the reporting provided under the ISSB standards? And there, the compatibility questions are quite fundamental, and it, uh, it is unclear, as we highlight in our, in our report, it is unclear what that will actually look like. 
because as everybody knows, the ESRS work is focused on a double materiality approach, whereas the uh, ISSB standards are explicitly focused more so on financial materiality or enterprise value-driven reporting. So that's one consideration for investors to keep in mind. The other question is, with ESRS, it's clear that that will, be, that, that will form the reporting standards in the EU. With ISSB, the question then is, which jurisdictions and at what pace will adopt those standards? So for the time being, the, the ISSB work places a marker, and we generally understand where things may head directionally, but it will be, regulator, it will be up to regulators market by market to decide to what extent, whether to adopt or to what extent to tailor the ISSB reporting standards to their own local market needs. And so the, the long and short of it being that we can expect a lot of information to become available for investors to consume and analyze in the coming years, but what that will actually look like and to what extent that information will be interoperable between jurisdictions is, is something for us to, uh, to still resolve. It's an open-ended question for now. Okay, and, and if we if we go a bit further and we focus a bit more on the just on the disclosure part, I gather regulators are seeking to to elicit more meaningful disclosure across all sustainable uh, investment products, and this kind of improved disclosure should and could avoid greenwashing, but also support retail investors. So, could you please explain to us what have been the major developments in this particular area globally, because it's not just one particular uh, market being exposed to that. Thanks. Sure. And I, I think you've hit the nail on the head with this question. The prior question, we really focused in on what's happening with corporate reporting. And the major point there was around interoperability. That was kind of the key word for us to go to. The issue that you have raised now is the fact that the regulatory developments happening globally have been not just focused strictly on corporates. They have also focused on ESG or sustainability branded investment products, on disclosure and reporting obligations of asset managers either at the entity level or in more in the process and how they integrate or consider ESG-related considerations in their investment processes. And here, too, we have seen a, a plethora of diverse undertakings, regulatory undertakings from one market to another. And to the extent the key uh, word of choice for corporates was interoperability or comparability, I think for this particular question in this venue, the, 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 the word to go to is complexity. Because what we are seeing and what we have and what we try to highlight in this particular chapter of our report is that if you look at the um, the regulations that have been either proposed or already adopted in the EU versus the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, and other jurisdictions, all of these regimes are in some ways compatible, but in other ways are actually quite different from each other. And from our point of view, given that most investment products are offered in more than one market and the largest fund managers are operating globally, navigating this emerging regimes from one jurisdiction to another will remain a challenge for the foreseeable future. And the quest for interoperability, if I may recycle the word, will, will continue for the asset management industry as well. Yeah, that's definitely a, a global challenge for, for all these asset managers because they can't be stuck with just one 
particular framework or, or reporting standard or, or type of disclosure. Maybe earlier you touched on the DD topic, due diligence. If we were to continue there and, and to ask what kind of ESG regulation are being developed in that particular space. And especially uh, what I have in mind is the due diligence obligation in corporate supply chain, which is clearly a, a, a growing topic and, and trend. If you could explain a little bit more there. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. And I think regulatory developments related to due diligence obligations is perhaps one of the major, if not the major regulatory trend that we are beginning to see surface from um, from one market to, to another. In, in our prior publications and in the annual report perhaps that we published last year or the year before, we noted this concept of quote-unquote radical transparency, that there is a demand or a hunger not only from investors but also from regulators to um, require different market participants to provide greater, uh, more enhanced or more granular disclosure on sustainability or climate risk considerations that are material, uh, whether through a double materiality or strictly a financial materiality point of view. Now what we are beginning to see is an extension or an expansion of that theme, and that focuses on regulating not only responsible business conduct, which is not a new concept in and of itself, but more so heightened due diligence obligations regarding companies' impacts on human rights and the environment through their supply chains or through their value chains. And there we have seen regulatory momentum. Uh, you alluded to the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive in the EU. Uh, that is currently in negotiations. Um, we know that in the EU, elections are coming in early June, and so that that then opens the question of whether there will be the political will and the policy agreement to actually finalize that directive in this mandate, or whether the the key sticking points there will lead for will lead to the d directive being uh, rolled over into the next mandate. And one of the things that we feature in, in this particular chapter of our report on the, sustain, on the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive is the question of who will be in scope of, of that particular directive. We know that the companies, companies that are in scope of CSRD will be in scope of the CSDDD, but one of the major sticking points in negotiations now is whether um, asset managers or financial institutions more generally will be in scope of the regulation, not as their own entities, but in due diligence in the, the companies in which they are invested. And I, what I want to note here, too, it, just in the final concluding thoughts, is that the, this, this trend, too, is a global one from our perspective. We have seen uh, similar guidance or considerations um, historically be proposed in Australia, in the UK, more recently in, in Japan. Um, and to some extent, there's also overlap in the due diligence or supply chain risk management themes that we've seen in the US too. And that this has come from both the SEC, but also in legislative proposals that have come um, in the US Congress. And, and there, the focus has been more so on risk management and supply chains for companies that have operations or that, that deal with, with China in particular. Thank you. That's that's very interesting and uh, and definitely a, a broad topic which will continue to uh, to to 
resonate with our with the investment community and, and with our prospects and clients because that's that's very challenging. One country one country that receives close attention in the report is the UK. I think it's in chapter four. While its policymakers claim that regulation will play an important role in the UK realizing its sustainable ambitions. Uh, I would like to ask you two questions. The first one is what approach are they actually taking to ESG regulation? Uh, to what extent that may or may not diverge from, from peers, from other countries? And the second question is why did you decide to highlight this particular country? What was the, the main difference? Thanks. That, that's a, I think the, the way you have posited that question um, sets me up nicely to explain really the the thrust of that particular chapter. The reason we decided to focus that chapter on a region as opposed to a theme is because what we have seen and what we expect to happen through the remainder of 2023 and in 2024 and beyond is that there's there's a number of sustainable finance regulatory developments, whether relating to corporates, asset managers, products, you name the products or the service provider industry. There's a lot of developments that have happened in the UK. And to your question around how does this, how do these proposals compare to those we've seen in other jurisdictions? I think the the most interesting and maybe the the easiest uh, comparison to make is one relative to the regulatory path that we've seen in the EU. And perhaps somewhat cheekily, but one of the things that we raise in that particular chapter is whether there is advantage to being a second mover uh, in the sustainable finance regulatory space. In this case, that being the the UK, and that they have ostensibly looked to the the work that has been undertaken in the EU, notably the SFDR uh, and some of the other proposals or now regulation that have been that has been implemented, and from that. Uh, our, our observations are that the UK regulators are noting lessons learned and in particular challenges on the implementation front and using those lessons to propose a different regulatory path from that w- what we have seen in, in the UK. One one way or one conclusion that can be drawn in that comparison is that the, the UK regulators are taking a more thoughtful, more methodical Um, approach and that they have also engaged quite heavily with the industry, which has also resulted in what we've now seen are some delays uh, in in regulation that we otherwise expected to have been finalized by now. And so I'll note a couple of specific examples that we highlight in the chapter. One is the sustainability disclosure regime, um, in particular focused on, on, on UK corporates and the overlap there with the ISSB. Separately, the investment labels and disclosure regime for uh, for asset managers and financial institutions, separately also on, on their transition-related uh, obligations, reporting obligations in the UK. And then the, the other also question and the parallel to the EU regulatory path is the UK green taxonomy framework and what will happen with that and when can we expect to actually see it. So in, in short, I would say it is uh, it is quite a, a notable chapter and a deviation from the, the style of the overall report, but that is quite intentional because we wanted to highlight in particular what has been happening in the UK and why that is notable regionally. That's clearly very uh, very relevant indeed. Maybe another another point, which was I think in chapter five, was 
the identification of the sustainable bond market as one of the main channels to mobilize funds towards environmental and social investment objectives. In that space, what kind of regulation would you say has emerged in response to this evolving market? Sure. And, and here, too, I, I'll note that in, in our prior reports, we admittedly hadn't taken such a deep focus on the sustainability bond market. And we, we wanted to rectify that with the report this year. As you noted, this does continue to be a main instrument to mobilize funds for uh, for ENS objectives. By some measures, the sustainability bond market has reportedly exceeded $4 trillion in issuances, and that in turn has raised the piqued the attention of, of regulators globally. For, for the most part, I think what we highlight in the report is that regulation applicable to sustainability bonds has evolved in various jurisdictions over the years, but much of it has focused on green bonds, at least for now. And the major influence on such regulation has been the work of the International Capital Markets Association, or ICMA, and the principles that they have put forward for labeled debt instruments. In effect, these these principles have set the baseline for local and regional regulators who have developed their own variations or iterations of the principles, including in some cases adopting more stringent requirements. But in short, we would say that the work of ICMA and the, the ICMA principles in particular have influenced quite substantially the bond market regulation in China, India, and in Japan. Here, I, I would differentiate the approach that the EU has taken uh, with the finalization now of the EU Green Bond Standard, which un, under which we see more stringent requirements that are not specified exclusively by principles, but we also see a general EU approach that could be considered to be a more prescriptive or more granular when it comes to the sustainability bond market. Maybe on a concluding note, I would say for... For this particular chapter, I, I think this is our first f foray in this larger pu publication to summarize or s provide a survey of relevant regulatory developments, and there's a lot more to follow up on here and to monitor in future ISS Stocks Insights publications. Perfect. So we look forward to it, definitely. And Maybe one last question on my side, which I, I fully appreciate we are already in Q4, 23. So what would be the most important regulatory development to watch or to, to look for to in the coming quarters, according to you? What should, be, what should we be monitoring? A great question and maybe my, my, my favorite question, because with, this is one that we are asked frequently of what's coming up and what is it that what we as investors should be monitored for. Um, for From our point of view, the end of the year tends to be a busy year for uh, for regulators equally as it is for, for the industry. Um, from from that perspective, I, I would note that if you go from one market to another, maybe starting with the EU, we are expecting to see um, final guide, guidance or guidelines come out from ESMA, the EU Securities Regulator on Fund Labeling and, and Disclosure, and that happens to be in parallel to the Commission's review of SFDR, and that will be a, a, yet another complexity to the asset management industry um, and their own operations in the EU and globally that will be uh, of note. 
uh, in the UK, as we outlined earlier, maybe a somewhat uh, re repetitive, but in, in the coming months, whether by the end of the year or in early 2024, we expect to see a substantial movement on the UK sustainability disclosure regime applying both to corporates and then separately on investment labels and disclosure by asset managers. And that will be also in addition to the expected release of the, e of the UK green taxonomy. Uh, in the in the Asia Pac area, it's quite a diverse landscape, but there too we expect to see, first of all, uh, more signaling from one market to another on the adoption or the tailoring of the work of the ISSB. We've already seen that come from some some regulators uh, locally, including uh, including Japan. But likewise, we expect to see further movement on fund labeling and disclosures by by, by asset managers of the, the way in which they consider or incorporate uh, ESG factors into their investment processes. Thematically, more globally, I would say we also expect to see greater activity uh, or heightened regulatory focus on investors' overall stewardship practices uh, and engagement reporting that's that's something that we increasingly see a heightened appetite for and potentially more regulatory formally more regulatory activity in 2024 and I'll conclude by highlighting a couple of things in the US uh, given the the breadth and the size of the US capital markets there's obviously quite a lot of focus on the work of the US SEC uh, and an expectation that at some point before the U.S. elections, or at least before maybe July or August of next year, that the SEC will finalize its proposal or its final rule at that stage on corporate reporting on of corporate reporting on climate-related risk issues. That that's a that could be a, a podcast episode, likely in and of itself, as far as what will that final rule actually look like, and what might the litigation risk look like there. Um, but I, I would note in the U.S., it's not only the SEC that I investors and, frankly, corporates too should be monitoring or would be wise for them to to pay attention to. It's also other agencies uh, where we've already seen activity from them, particularly on climate-related financial risk, and that's the U.S. Treasury um, and some regulators that specifically focus on financial institutions or, or banks. So I'll, I'll, I'll end there, um, but there's always – more to highlight, and we'll try to achieve that in, in future publications. One point. First of all, we look forward to welcoming you for a second episode, just to detail this in more detail. But for the time being, I, would just, I just would like to thank you very much for your time. And uh, as always, it was a pleasure to get your perspective on, on the evolution of the global regula regulatory landscape. Dear listeners, for more details on this episode and on the 2023 Global Regulatory Update Report, please go to iss-esg.com. That's it for now, and thank you for tuning in.